0: We turn in God's word this morning then, as we reflect upon that thought, to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. We could read this account also in the uh, Gospel of Mark, the 15th chapter, or in John chapter 19, verse 2. He makes reference to this as well, but uh, we're going to read it, the account from Matthew chapter 27. I'm going to pick it up at verse 15. Uh, This is uh, obviously we are in the morning of the crucifixion. Our sermon series for the next several weeks is going to be the items at the cross, seven of them. I've been thinking about preaching this uh, series for probably about 10 years now and just never got around to it and Found it in my notes, in my file, and thought, I'm going to do it this year. Seven items at the cross. Each of those items speaks to us. There is a message that God would have us hear in the items that we find at the cross. Obviously, a takeoff of the seven sayings at the cross and those sorts of things as well. The first item that we'll look at this morning is A crown of thorns, Matthew 27, 15. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. They had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, what do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, "'Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream.'" Now the chief priest and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, "'Which of the two do you want me to release to you?' And they said, "'Barabbas.'" Pilate said to them, "'Then what shall I do with Jesus?' and all the people answered his blood be on us and our children then he released them he released for them barabbas and having scourged jesus delivered him to be crucified then the soldiers of the governor took jesus into the governor's headquarters they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spit on him and took a reed and struck him on the head. When they had mocked him, they stripped him of his robe, put on his own clothes on him, and led him away to crucify him. For the reading of God's word, I invite you to keep it open as we'll look at this and other related passages as well. Let's again bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we give thanks for this portion of your word and may we have a love for your word, and especially as we study the, all the sacrifice of Jesus for us and for our sins that we may become righteous before you. And just bless Pastor Bob as he brings this message to us, we pray and ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So first of all, as we consider this morning this crown of thorns, we're going to look at the crown, first of all, as a mocking crown. That's what its intent is, isn't it, in this passage. The whole section of verses 27 through 31 is all a mockery, although that which has happened previous has been a mockery as well. There's been a mockery of a trial before the Sanhedrin. There's been a mockery made of justice already. There is a mockery made by the Jewish people asking for Barabbas. There is a mockery made by Pilate seeking to wash his hands of that which he is doing. The whole thing is a mockery. The whole thing is designed to be a ridicule of Jesus Christ. But certainly, as we look this morning at this crown of thorns that is mentioned there in verse 29, this too is a mockery. First of all, I want you to note the men who are involved. We are told in verse 27 then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus. They're the ones who engage in this practice. And that's significant, that these are Roman soldiers. These are not temple guards. These are not hired mercenaries from some other country. These are Roman soldiers. Roman soldiers that then represent something for us, even as Pilate is represented here as well. These Roman soldiers represent most powerful most powerful earthly government on earth at the time. They represent secular might, secular power, secular control, worldly government. And we see here then that what is really going on is not just a small group of soldiers or a battalion of soldiers. But we see here the entire world gathered. The governments of this world, even as we read in Psalm 2, that, that seek to throw off the constraints of the Lord and of his son, the king. Let not come under their authority. Here is the mockery of those governments. We'll make fun of them. We'll give them a crown. We'll make them a crown. We'll give them homage. We'll put a robe on them. We'll put a scepter in his hand. But it's all done in mockery. And therein, we need to be reminded of the fact that that these men, functioning as they are upon that day, functioning as representatives of the Roman government of that day, and with the authority of the Roman government, and with the permission of the Roman government to engage in such mockery, that this is one of those governments that we studied of this past Wednesday night in our Study of Revelation, chapter 13. This is that first beast giving rise. That the dragon is making use of a secular, ungodly government. To seek to make a mockery of God and of his Christ. This is the dragon. This is Satan. This is the evil that we are seeing here. That they are seeking to rid themselves of the rule of Christ by turning it into a mocking crown. The men. Secondly, the material. We are told that it is a crown of thorns that they put together. We don't know the exact type. We don't know the name. I know there is currently and in, in uh, plant horticulture, there is a crown of thorns that people grow, but we have no way of knowing if that's exactly the crown here, the thorns that are mentioned. In fact, it's rather interesting that the whole area of Israel, Judea, and the area around Jerusalem are full of a variety of species of plants that are thorny in nature. It's almost as if God intentionally has planted a lot of thorn around Jerusalem. So they were abundant. Some commentators believe that a lot of these were often just gathered and put in piles and then they're used as the kindling for fires that would burn. And so the fact that there would be a pile of these off because there's there's nothing else you do with thorny plants but other than burn them, they're off in a pile there and somebody goes over and picks one of them up but it is a crown of thorns made in such a way that it's to resemble a crown. You know, you've, you've seen Nero with his leaves, the laurel leaf crown. That's what they're making. Only it's not out of laurel leaves, it's out of thorns. Here's our emperor, here's our king. Yeah, this is the Jewish king. Ah. Yeah, ours wears laurel leaves. Look at the Jews. Look at what they have for a king mockery. Not only by the men, but even in the material itself. Those who have visited this area of Judah report the fact that most of these plants have very long thorns upon them. They're not not like rosebush thorns, but they're extended an inch, two inch. It is this that they make to mock Jesus. Third thing, I want you to note something else they do. And, and it's mentioned, I think, by all three gospel writers who include the crown of thorns. It says they twisted it together. Now, it's kind of interesting that it, it, why does the Bible, for example, not just tell us they made a crown of thorns? Why, why wasn't that sufficient? Why is it that the Holy Spirit wants us to know that the way in which they constructed it was that they twisted it. They wound it together. I want you to think about it. You'll, 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 once you think this over, you'll understand why. Because you see, the twisting of this would mean that some of those thorns are going to be inward. See, if you just wrapped it, one could say, well, that might lead to the possibility that all the thorns then are just outward. That's all they're doing. But you see, the twisting, the wrapping of it would mean that as they wind this together, yes, there are thorns that are going to point outward, but there are going to be just as many thorns that are pointing inward. And so, when scripture reminds us that they twisted it together and then placed it on his head, we are to understand that which is happening. That those thorns are now piercing his scalp. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns. This is the mockery. This is the ridicule. This is the the fakeness of what is happening and transpiring. This is what our Savior is going through. But secondly, I I want you to think about this not just as a, a mocking crown. I want you to understand that this is also a suffering crown. Because what is it made of? It's made of thorns. What are we told in Genesis chapter 3 as the curse of sin that falls upon men? I'll curse the ground and it shall produce thorns and thistles. What's he wearing? A crown. Of thorns, the very thing, the very thing that is representative of sin in this created world. That if you're going to look for the evidence of sin in the created world, not, not in men's hearts and minds and lives, obviously we find plenty of evidences of sin there. But if we're going to look in this world, and we're going to find something that we would say, is truly representative of the fact that sin exists. If I sent you out on a search and said, I want you to bring back some item of creation that shows us the fact that the world is under a curse, the most biblically correct thing, the most accurate thing, the thing as, uh, as a teacher I'd have to give you a 104 is if you brought me thorns. Because that was the very word of God. Cursed. It's ground because of you. Now by the sweat of your brow, you're going to have to work and labor because now there's going to be thorns and thistles. As that crown of thorns is placed upon his head. And what is interesting, just to get there quickly to to note, is the fact that we are told that they take the staff out of his hand. We are told that they take the cloak off. But we are never told that the crown comes off. They leave it on. On the walk And on the cross, there's that sign. There's that symbol. The picture is crystal clear. The suffering Savior wearing a crown of thorns for sin. Or one could go and we could reflect upon this not in terms of uh, the reminder of sin, but the reminder of prophecy. If we go to Isaiah chapter 53, remember those words that Isaiah prophesies about they pierce, right? He is pierced for our sins. He is pierced for our iniquities. I think we often think, don't we, uh, of that sword in the side. And that would be true. He, he was. And that spear goes through. But it is also represented in that crown. And perhaps when you look at Isaiah chapter 53. And in the context of that prophecy of Isaiah. It is about rejection. It, it is about being despised. It is about being ridiculed. The soldier who comes along and takes that spear and pricks Jesus in the side was not meant as the ridicule. It was meant to check, is he really dead? But that which pierced Christ are not only those nails, but the predecessor of those nails is this crown thorns that pierces his head. It is a crown of suffering. As those soldiers take that crown and twist it together, as Jesus watches and observes, Isaiah 53 comes to mind. As they push it upon his head. As they take that staff, as we read, and beat him on the head. Pushing that crown even more. He was pierced for our transgressions. It's a reminder of prophecy, is this crown. Thirdly, it's a reminder of cost. Perhaps over the years you've, you've read this and maybe you've reflected upon it, but I want to pause a moment and, and think about this crown of thorns. He did that. He wore that. He dealt with the mockery And the suffering for my sin. For your sin. Think of the cost. Think of the cost that is going on here. Think of the blood that is trickling down, those drops of blood. Already the predecessor, already the, the forerunner, already the foreshadowing of, of the blood that is going to be spilt upon that cross. All as a payment, all to make atonement for my sin. Did you swear yesterday? Did you go in a rage yesterday? Were you lazy yesterday? Did you gossip yesterday? Did you think evil of someone yesterday? Without justification? Did you love your neighbor yesterday? Did you love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength yesterday? Did you doubt God yesterday? Were you frivolous with money yesterday? Were you loose with your thoughts yesterday? Were you disobedient to your parents yesterday? Did you take something that wasn't yours yesterday? Did you covet something yesterday? Oh, the list goes on and on, doesn't it? For every sin. It took the death of Christ. If you had committed only one sin ever in your life, Christ would be wearing this mocking, suffering crown of thorns for you. Christ Would be going to the cross for you. Maybe if we thought more about that before we sinned. We would be less likely to sin. The mocking, suffering, crown, worn. We read nothing of the fact that those who took down the body of Jesus left it on. We read nothing of the fact that when Peter and John rush into the tomb that morning of the resurrection, they find off in the side a crown of thorns. Obviously, it was disposed of long before they buried him. Well, imagine one of those folks as the body of Jesus is lowered to the ground, taking that crown and throwing it away. I don't want anything to do with this piece of mockery, this suffering. We read nothing of it as far as the disciples in seeing Jesus. Jesus only says to To Thomas, here's my hands, here's my feet, not see my crown. But you see, Jesus is wearing a crown. From the moment of that death on the cross, the crown of thorns has been replaced. And now that which stands upon the head of Christ, although unseen to the human eye, is a victor's crown. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. Listen to how the author of Hebrews describes this. Therefore, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, How do we see him? Well, remember, Hebrews is all about faith, right? How do we see Jesus? We see Jesus with eyes of faith. And and what do we see when we see Jesus? The author of Hebrews tells us. Verse 9. We see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. Because of the suffering of death. This crown that Jesus is now wearing, that you and I see with eyes of faith, that victor's crown is an earned crown. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. He didn't deserve the crown of thorns. He didn't deserve that crown of mockery. He did not deserve that crown of suffering. But he deserves the victor's crown. How? Because of the suffering of death. As soon as Christ dies, That which we could physically see is a crown of thorns. But that which we see by faith now is a crown of glory and a crown of honor. That's what sits upon Christ's head. That's what sits upon the head of Jesus. Victor's crown. Listen to how John in the book of Revelation chapter 19 describes this. If you would go with me there. John in the book of Revelation chapter 19. Then I'm starting at verse 11. Excuse me. 19.11, then I saw heaven and open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes wars. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head, listen, and on his head are many diadems. Remember what we're learning in the book of Revelation? This isn't about then. This is about now. There's Christ with many diadems. Those are crowns. Notice, they're multiple. There are many crowns upon the head of Christ. Not just one. Those that he has earned. The crowns of glory and honor because of his suffering. Remember Philippians chapter 2? He humbled himself even unto death. Therefore God has exalted him to give him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. Who do you bow to? A king. When does he become king? When does he receive this grand and glorious coronation? Because he suffered death. What a glorious picture is revealed to us here. Not of a crown of thorns or a crown of suffering, a crown of mockery, but a victor's crown. A diadem is the crown that is worn of royalty. Why many? Because he's king of the church. Because he's king of creation. Because as John goes on to tell us, because he is, verse 16, on his robe and on his thigh, he has written king of kings and lord of lords. He is above every rule, every authority and every power. Every human king, every human lord, every human government, every human institution, he wears the crown. He's the king. He's the king of every believer. Right? Here's Calvin. Here's my heart. Here's my heart. Give it to you. You're my sovereign. You're my Lord. You're my King. This is what we were reminded of a few minutes ago with Katie and Adam joined. You promise. You promise to serve Christ as your Lord, to serve Him as your King. We just got done with the book of Jude, right? What's the whole emphasis? That Christ is Lord and Master, that Christ is King, that Christ is in control. Every believer, every believer comes under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. That's why we can sing, you see. That's why we can sing, The night is dark, but I am not forsaken, for by my side the Savior, he will stand. That's why I can sing, No fate I dread. I know I am forgiven. The future sure, the price it has been paid. For Jesus blood and suffered for my pardon. And he has raised to overthrow the grave. Why? Because he's the king. That's why. Because he wears many crowns. There are many diadems that he now wears. Not a crown of thorns, not a crown of suffering, not a crown of mockery. He is the one who is the king of our hearts. The ruler supreme. The one who's in charge. The one who's in control. The one that you and I desire to obey. And when we fail, when we disappoint, when we sin, it crushes us that we have not followed what our king desires ah but oh (laughs) but oh you see that king has paid the price for those sins so I am forgiven because he's king because he's king and he's ruled thus. He has proclaimed thus. Each one of us could, can stand here this morning saying our name and saying, the Lord Jesus Christ has commanded, has ruled that I am forgiven. And further, Jesus Christ has commanded and ruled that he as King of kings and Lord and lords will always Be at my side. How much to learn. Those soldiers and so many today, so many in the world today, want to make a mockery of Christ. They want to laugh at our Lord. They want to laugh at our Savior. They want to laugh at our King. Men today, even as we gather here this morning to worship him, men today are in their own ways, going over to the woodpile, fashioning and twisting together their crowns of thorns and seeking to place them upon the head of Christ. But it can no longer be done. Oh, they try. Satan makes a valiant effort at this. But it cannot be done. Why? Why? Because his rule and his reign is forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. He never, never, never will cease to be king. Revelation chapter 11 verse 15. We give thanks... To you, Lord God Almighty, who was, who is. For you have taken your great power and began to reign. And the nations raged, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged. And for the rewarding of your saints, the prophets and saints. And for those who fear your name. Then God's temple in heaven was opened. The ark of his covenant Seen. There were flashes of lightnings, rumbling, peals of thunder, and earthquake, and heavy hail. And the kingdom of this world, verse 15, has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. No one can mock him anymore. No more suffering. For now he reigns. What hope. What peace. What assurance. What an invitation. Come and bow. Today. Before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And God's people say, Amen.